Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time for one of our favorite shows this week with Wendy, the only show that shows you the real SoCal estate of mind with Wendy Ross, who, after decades of working at real estate brokerages in Silicon Valley, Orange County, and elsewhere, she decided it was time to create a different real estate model, and so she did, and thus was born Veracity Real Estate. First company out there committed to bespoke client advocacy at all price levels. Yeah, that's something that doesn't happen very often in high-cost markets like Southern California. And through it all, she's built a company of data-driven real estate nerds, she'd say, but they're really investment advisors who seek truth and tell truth. And today they're going to share some truths. Wendy, tell us the truth. Hey, good morning, Paul. How are you? Okay. So tell us the truth. Was it hard to get here this morning? You said there was a giant uh, procession, I think, of uh, police cars. This yeah. amazing caravan of first responders, and it just went for miles and miles and miles. So, I think it's because of the fallen uh, uh, helicopter that's officer. That's all I could think of. Yeah, yeah I think it was. an incredible display. It was really something to behold. Well, we are, are uh, a shout out to all those who serve and to those who fall from time to time. We're glad they're out there, and we're glad they're doing what they're doing, particularly mm-hmm. in these crazy times here. I know. And to say it's the, the ultimate sacrifice is such an understatement. I mean, it, we really, really all have to acknowledge these people who put their lives on the line every day for us. And I don't think we think about them that often until something happens and well, we think about it. Right? And the other people we have to thank are the real estate brokers who keep driving prices up like crazy in the in the county here. Uh, thank you. God you get, love you. You going to blame us or credit <laughs> us? I'm not really sure which way this conversation is going, Paul. But uh, I wish I could claim that I was single-handedly responsible for buoying your equity position in your home. But <laughs> Uh, I'm yes. not going to shoulder that mantle. That's not me, babe. Okay. Well, I'm just here reporting on it. I'm not making it happen. I'm all just right. letting you well, know what's happening. I don't know. You're doing something <laughs> Who would you bring with you today? I brought Chef Ivan Calderon. So we're going to talk about wellness in all different parts of one's life. So I tackle the whole financial wellness and you know the value of your home and your investments, but he's going to talk about other forms of wellness. And I hope you'll tackle what we were talking about off camera about how kitchens have become such an important part of homes today. It's where people hang out. They don't just cook there. They live there. It's like you knew we were going to bring him on. Color me crazy. (laughs) Exactly. You know, I mean, everyone who's listened now has figured out that I bring sort of a different bent to this. And I bring market analysis as well as analysis of your investment in uh, different ways than you're going to normally expect to hear it and see it. And one of the ways I do this is by aligning with some of the best minds around. And that's making your home your best investment. And again, not just financially, but also in other forms of wellness. So your home can increase your physical wellness and your environmental wellness, your emotional wellness. And to tell us more about all of this wellness related to your home, we've invited Chef Ivan Calderon. He's the founder of Taco Mesa, Taco Rosa, Tortilla Organica, and Cafe. And as chef in Orange County-based Taco Rosa, Taco Mesa, uh, and Taco Mesa's Tortilla Organica, Ivan's been setting a standard for Mexico City cuisine for nearly three decades in Orange County. I didn't realize he'd been here that long. He predates me. And his name has become synonymous with authenticity, sustainability, and quality, all of which are reflected in his brand's integrity from the ingredients he sources to the tradition he highlights throughout his menu and his restaurants. Chef Calderon's approach to healthy, authentic, and sustainable Mexican cuisine he goes beyond the trendy words. His commitment to serving only locally sourced, GMO-free corn involves a nixtamalization process. And he's got to explain that to me because I don't even know what nixtamalization is. But it dates back as early as 1200 B.C. in the now southern Mexico region. So this process apparently takes hours, but for Chef Calderon, a worthwhile one. 
because it removes nearly all the aflatoxins from corn. So I was astounded to find that not only does he create these incredibly healthy tortillas for his own use in his own restaurants, now he has um, spread the word and he's sharing it and other restaurateurs are buying these from him, which I think is a brilliant um, adaptation of going towards healthy and, and trying to make the community a better place by working together with his partners. So. We're going to talk a lot more about him and his vision of how to bring health and wellness into your own home. But of course, just for a few minutes beforehand, I'm going to talk about what happened this week in the market. So last week, we had 419 new active listings come on the market, which was up 12%, which is a brilliant step in the right direction. But again, like I said last week, we need 1,400 per week to come on the market. So we're a bit shy of the mark, but at least we're moving in the right direction. We had 578 housing units go into escrow. That was down 1% from the week before. And in my opinion, only because there was that many fewer to put into escrow. We would have put more into contract if we had more to put there. We sold 540 units last week in Orange County. That was up 14%. And that's fairly typical for the last week of any month. For some reason, people seem astounded that months end 12 times a year. And the last week of every month, every year, there's this surge of escrows closing. So we saw it again last week, and it was up 14%. That's fairly unimportant. We're going to take a look at things on an aggregate whole at the end of the month and at the end of the quarter and then again at the end of the year. We had six days on market median in which to sell a home. And again, this time of year, that should be 45 days. So they're selling in a nanosecond. That was down 14% from the week before just because it went down from one day. It's, It's crazy fast people. If anybody is listening to these reports that Southland inventory is improving, there's more inventory and prices are going to soften, it's absolute crazy nonsense. It has no relevance whatsoever in Orange County. Our market is moving decidedly differently from L.A., San Diego, and all other adjacent counties because we can see through data tracking they're moving here. They're leaving homes in other counties, and they're gobbling up homes here. So our inventory is drastically drastically reduced. Our median price did fall last week a little bit. It wobbled from a million forty-five down to a million, and these wobbles up and down are going to happen again. Let's take a look at this in more of a macro perspective at the end of the month, the end of the quarter. List price to sales price ratio, though, again, super, super strong. Our average, well, median sales price to list price was 5% above asking. So we're at 105% for the county. This tells you when homes are selling in six days, they're getting more than they're asking for them, that there's still incredible, incredible pent-up buyer demand. So it's not getting any better people. And this is why I invite people to talk about anything other than real estate stats, because it just makes my head hurt. So Enough of that. I'm going to segue from food for thought to food to fuel your, your wellness. And again, please meet my guest, Chef Ivan Calderon. Another to be here, Wendy. Thank you so much, Wendy. Paul, appreciate you having me on your show. We just love having you in our universe. You know, we love having you here to talk not just about the obvious being a restaurateur and, and creating food and making profit. We love having you here, and I mean, that's the real we. I love having you here because I know that what you're doing is important and that you really are personally invested in healthy and that your name has truly become synonymous with healthy and authentic. So can you tell us a bit about the first restaurant that you started, Taco Mesa? Well, thank you for asking. It was so important uh, for me to, to bring about the wellness and the healthiness of our cuisine because 
in those days, 30 years back, mm -hmm. the perception of Mexican cuisine was not such. Right. You, people thought of it as greasy and oily and, and, and not as good for you. And, and the contrary of it, I mean, yeah, of course, the Mexican food eater in California or in the, this country is limited to the experience of the food that's here, mm -hmm. which in those days was mostly southern food, fried food, burritos, taquitos, things that were required a lot of oil. Not mm -hmm. the case in our cuisine at all, you know. So it was sort of a calling for me to bring about the healthiness of our cuisine, fruits, the vegetables, the local sourced uh, from, from the mercados locally and that type of thing, and to bring about other flavors in, our, 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 in the food that people mm -hmm. weren't familiar with. Mm -hmm. So it was a great opportunity for me to bring about not only what people were familiar with, but bring people to another level of experience by introducing them to foods that perhaps they weren't familiar with. And is that uh, what you mean by saying contemporary Mexican cuisine? I would think it's not necessarily contemporary, but it is a fusion of our ancestors uh. Uh, infused with techniques that are modern. As an example, I mean, we've been cooking underground, steamed, slow-cooked for centuries. See, you know? and this is something that <laughs> I only knew that, that Hawaiians did and other you know, Pacific Islanders, but I didn't realize that, that Mexican culture did that as well. Well, you know, barbacoa, you know, uh, now, it, so it's, it's there, there's, you know, slow cook, it's it's also, it, it's really, really cool, really good. But also in learning from the techniques, modern techniques that we learned mm -hmm. from, from the Europeans, you know, the French, the, the Spaniards brought baking into our system and, and all those types of things. So the combination of ancient with modern mm -hmm. uh, and bringing it into an amazing array of new foods that we're creating. So it's it's just a wonderful place to be, I think. It seems like you were steeped, you, you yourself were raised and grew up in an environment that was so international and multicultural. Mexico City is one of the most vibrant multicultural cities on the planet. So how did growing up there influence your your life's work? Well, I was very blessed, not rich, but blessed with love and blessed with a colorful culture because I was born right in the heart of Mexico City, blocks away from La Lagunilla, which was one of the biggest uh, farmer's market in the city, which, you know, regular, regularly I would go to the Lagunilla with my grandmother, with my mother, carrying the bags of freshly, fresh groceries uh, sourced directly from the farmers that grew it. And, and, and just, you know, and now I didn't realize how how blessed I was right. by being surrounded with all this richness, not only from the culture that I was there grew up with, but I grew up with restaurateurs. I mean, I grew up with Greeks that owned restaurants in Mexico City. Did you really? So in that, it's like I, my uncle was famous because he had this place called Pepe's, which they were known for the best cabrito in the whole city. What's cabrito? So cabrito is roast, is goat, baby goat. Oh. Baby goat, slow cooked, roasted. So I grew up with, you know, a lot of, richness in food and cuisine and I wasn't even I didn't realize it that so you I, were a foodie before I, you knew it yeah to tell you my great aunt Esperanza she was one of the leader female leaders back in the 50s with the restaurant workers sindicato which was sort of the the, the union of the Mexican workers so I was around food and restaurants since I was born and not realizing that this was going to be my calling. I love that. So you had a strong woman in your world who was, what was she doing in, in for the it, workers? It, it was rare. She was in the, in the board of directors of the sindicato, and she was the only female in the sindicato. You know, in those days, you know, females did not hold permanent positions. When was this? She was. She was it's in the 50s. Wow. In the 50s, Yeah. So it was really cool to to be around that that energy, 
uh, of strong female energy with cuisine, with food, with just, you know, uh, influence, community influence. I love that. And for those of you who haven't been there yet, A, you need to go. Um, Taco Mesa restaurants all have this gorgeous logo, which features a a beautiful woman. And can you share with us who that woman is? Oh, that's my mother. Yeah. Thank you so much. What an homage to the strong women in your world. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. For me to be able to look at the opportunity that we had in our segment of Mexican cuisine, Mm -hmm. to be able to be able to put out there fresh juice, ground press, Mm -hmm. all organic, you know, to bring in tiger nut from from Egypt, from Spain, to be able to do a tiger nut agua horchata, which people don't realize that I'm one of the only ones that has that product. It's amazing. Where, where it's just nutritious. It's 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 like, like drinking a vegetable juice, you know. But it tastes like a milkshake. It, and for, for those of you who don't know me, I eat like a 15-year-old boy. I do. I have the worst eating habits of any female you'll meet in Orange County, I am certain. And I went to his Tortilla Organica, and I had some of his cold-pressed juices and the horchata, and it's freaking life-changing. You guys, you have to go. It's on Chapman Avenue. You need to go check it out. But anyway, sorry, we digress. No, 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 it's great. And the importance of freshly prepared, freshly made food, it's just it's just the body knows it when you eat it. It's just you feel good. You don't... You know, you don't have a problem digesting it and, and so forth and so on. What was your so, impetus to move in that direction towards the healthier and the more organic? What was your shift? Well, during the time I was working for Larry Cano, who we had, he grew from five restaurants to 290 restaurants nationwide. Mm-hmm. And I was with him 20 years. So in wow. the process, I was bugging him about research. And back in the day, he was going with his gut feel instead of really researching what people thought, what people, how people perceived our cuisine. And in that, he, we spent a ton of money in research. That's when I learned that people didn't think of our food as healthy food. And that sort of got to my heart. Wow. You know, because it's like, wow, how can people think that our food isn't healthy? When, you so know, it hurt a little bit. Uh, yeah. So I, wanted to, I was out there to prove the world that, hey, our food is healthy. Our food is good. And yeah, I, I believe we pioneered. Taco Mesa was one of the first to bring about value, healthy cuisine, healthy cuisine at value price points. And, and food that was actually better prepared, better quality than you would find in a full-service restaurant mm-hmm. on a casual setting. Mm-hmm. And this was 30 years ago. Now you'll have a ton of restaurants addressing that niche, which is value, a casual, uh, a sort of a casual service style. Right. Uh, but it, so it was, it was sort of a something that was needed in the marketplace. So you and pioneered it, that it space. Proven, it proven to be a success. Yeah, absolutely. I was one of the first. I, I don't think that there was a lot of people maybe doing it, little mm-hmm. places and different areas of the country mm-hmm. that were actually doing that. But for some reason, I just stepped into that market, and it just uh, proved to be a success. Well, Taco Mesa on 19th and Costa Mesa is iconic. I mean, it's part of the fabric of that community now. And so many people, when I tell them that I know you and that I've, I'm going to have you on the show, it's like I'm having a rock star. It's like Rod Stewart's on the show. It's crazy. Oh. So, no, you're you're mm-hmm. a legend. So. Obviously, you have long been impassioned by and moved to make food healthy. Was there a time that you learned that food could be dangerous and that you wanted to avoid it? Or was that just all part of the evolution of embracing the the beauty of of whole, clean food? Well, wholeness and and wellness has to do not only with nutrition, but it also has to do with detoxification, Mm -hmm. getting rid of your toxins. So the combination of both, the balance of both, is what really keeps the body moving keeps the body healthy i mean if you don't get rid of your toxins and mm-hmm. you're not really even if you're eating over accumulated over time 
builds chronic illness, brings cancer, all of those things. So it's a combination of both that I learned, uh, not just nutrition, but detoxification as well. Okay, and so based on, on that and what you've learned, can you share us with us um, a few things that we should be stocking at home in our pantries for healthier living? Well, you know, one of the f- things that I've done uh, is to get rid of everything in my pantry and re- replenish it with wholesome grains, wholesome uh, spices. So tubular uh, rasa. Uh, <laughs> right, not get rid of process, get rid of ingredients that don't have any nutritive value, mm-hmm. and, and that I think it's important for me. You won't find much in my dry pantry other mm-hmm. than grains and, and spices and uh, those sorts of things. Uh, maybe some oils, some natural things of that. Where do you buy these? Where do you source them? I love buying in the farmer's markets. You know, I think I love supporting local farmers. Okay. I think they, at times, the, you know, I buy on quality uh, mm-hmm. and I think it's so important that if I buy something at the farmer's market that's recently harvested, the value of that product, it's just so far superior than if you buy it at any grocery store where the product may look good, but it's mm-hmm. really old and it's half dead or right. not mostly dead. Yeah. So back to the European model, go weekly to the market, buy fresh, smaller quantities, consume it. And buy local. And buy buy local. local. Source mm-hmm. local. Source for your local sources. Where do we uh, support source things like flowers and things that are unbleached and, and made more healthfully? Well, I go to a place called Grisenthal in Pasadena to get all my grains, wow. all my flowers. So it's not bleached flour. Mm-hmm. It's actually freshly milled product. I carefully sourced my all my ingredients so that I make sure I'm supporting the local growers, the local farmers, as opposed to buying from the market where it's been sitting there for a right. long, long time. Or in a warehouse for six months before it got to the market. Exactly. Or, or, or. It's fascinating. And, okay, so back to my kitchen, which um, is woefully under underutilized. What do you, what would you consider a must-have tool or item that every one of us has to have in our kitchen? Uh, I would think it, a good cutting board and a good knife, you know. <laughs> I think it's the basic. I mean, you don't. I mean, I, I don't even use blenders in my home. I use a musher to mush wow. tomatoes so that I don't kill all the enzymes and nutrients in the process of of preparing a sauce or preparing some. So it's really basic. That goes down to for me. It's just you know have some a good hard chalkboard. I mean, cutting board and a, a really a sharp knife. I, I like the uh, Japanese. My Abbey knives, so they're great. And Are so those the ones that have the different layers of metal, and so they look like they're almost like wood? They have grain in them? Yes. Yeah. They're absolutely beautiful. Do they hold the, the edge better? Absolutely, yes. Interesting. Spoken like a true chef. <laughs> all right, I would probably cut a finger off if I had those in my kitchen. Absolutely. So, all right, so having said that, we need to have a good cutting board and you know good sharp knives. I've heard a lot of argument about you should use wood cutting boards, and I've heard people say, no, you should use the synthetic cutting boards because they don't hold bacteria. Thoughts on that? I love a hard wood cutting board. I mean, you can, you can sanitize it, you can clean it, and a hard wood cutting board mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, it's harder than steel, and it just, it's soft at the same time. It's, it's a, it's, I, I'd go with a wooden cutting board. Of course, um, the health department prefers... Uh, other other materials, you mm-hmm. know, like but, so but for your restaurants, you're using synthetic materials per health code, or yes, okay, yeah. But at home, good hardwood. How do you sanitize hardwood cutting boards? Well, it's just temperature, water, a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, just soap. Nice, and, yeah, and let it dry. Yeah. A lot of people have been saying that we are uh, undervaluing the use of good old natural sunshine. 
you know, put the cutting board in the window and, and let the sun get to it. Well, it's another way of doing it, right? right. Like, yeah. He's not saying no, people, so I'm going to go with that. We've talked about, you know, what you should have in your kitchen. And, of course, as you said, just start over with the pantry. Do a total reset. Get get all the oldie moldies out of there. Source locally. Get some new, fresh basics in there. Is there anything that you think we all just need to be aware of? Just get rid of it in your kitchen and don't bring it back. Cans. Processed foods. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And just because the nutritional value is gone? It's not there. It's like you're eating something to fill you and not eating something to nourish you. Okay. You need to do that fuck that cookbook you were talking about because you know, people like me I'm like I have no idea how to make a pasta sauce or a base or anything so I would need you to like come to my house and say use this instead well it's really simple to make a tomato sauce I mean come on if we buy canned tomato it's like wow you know with <laughs> something so simple to make and you know where you're looking at nourishment versus simplicity you know mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Well, the older we get, the more aware we become of the importance of a simple, healthy, nourishing meal. So can you can you describe something quickly for somebody like me who is like a 15-year-old boy in the kitchen that, that I could make easily for myself that would be healthy? Well, good food is slow-cooked. You know, it takes time. You have to really take your time to cook and plan and have something ready that you can put it together quickly, which is assemble it quickly. I mean, things that are quick to prepare, salads with grains and fruits and vegetables, I mean, that's quick and simple and mm-hmm. so forth. Mm-hmm. But if you want to have something really tasty, you've got to prepare it in advance. You've got to do it slow. Yeah, maybe you hold it for a day or two, and then when you're ready to have it, you put it together, which will be phenomenal, which is really the way to go. You know, you want to have some things that you prepare in advance and you hold, and then you put it together when you need them. But uh, that's how I would go about it. And that's it, fascinating because you've talked about that a little bit. And I didn't realize that was such a big deal when it comes to healthy eating, that you don't want to cook things too hot or too fast. Is that what you're saying? Is that why cooking it slow is well, important? For example, uh, let me tell you a ceviche. You know, most people will cook a ceviche with lime and citruses. And they mm-hmm. would cook it over a six-hour period and then bring it about. You know, real good ceviche, you want to do first, you squeeze your lime juice, your orange juice. You let it rest with herbs and spices over 24 hours or 36 hours really? before you use that juice that's already been flavored with all this grain or with all this herbs and spices then you cook your ceviche for an additional four or five hours to bring it to its to, to just to, to bring that flavor up you know that is so fascinating. that you know you could say you know so that takes days you know mm-hmm. you want to have a good slow cooked barbacoa i mean come on you know <laughs> it, it takes 10 hours at slow a, a low temperature sear to cook it so good cuisine is you're going to take your time and you're going to do it in in uh you know i mean great cooks usually cook in advance cook days in advance they plan mm-hmm. they cook in advance for the week you know you're going to make this Sometimes you soak your rice overnight, you know, and or, or your beans. So it's not something that you can rather do quick. You just got to do it with planning. You can put it together quick, but you got to do a little planning. You got to plan involved. ahead. Yeah. And I'm going to throw a curveball here mm-hmm. at you. Um, I've been going on and on waxing poetic about Taco Mesa, Taco Rosa. Taco Rosa is the, the fine dining, you know, the eat-in restaurant where you have the full experience. And by the way, I had the ceviche uh, last week, and it was to die for it was really really good and now i understand it's because you did the advanced prep and you got the herbs into the citrus and it made a massive amount of difference 
And of course, Choco Mesa is your, your fast food. Is there something else coming around the bend you can share with us? Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, we have the concept that I've been longing for, which is Taco Mesita, will be born in the city of Tustin, Old Town Tustin. And it's going to be uh, served within four minutes, but slow cooked, as I've mentioned. That's what made me think of it. Over a period of time. I'm going to do rotisserie chicken, uh, wood infused, uh, with some aromas that have been in this this equipment. Mm -hmm. That's the Southern Pride uh, rotisseries. I'm also going to do mesquite uh, uh, skirt steak, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, cooked on mesquite. Mm -hmm. I'm also going to do a beer battered fried wild cut halibut. And in that, I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to present it with uh, freshly rolled tortillas, which I have this hand equipment that you will roll the dough and the tortillas into the griddle, fresh, just like if you were eating fresh baked bread with every sandwich or with every burger. So it'll be a, a taco or a burrito done with fresh tortillas, freshly baked, freshly grilled, and with amazing with product that's been cooked slowly and tender, mm. and it is served within four minutes. The menu will be limited. Uh, the ingredients will be best of ingredients. I mean, I'm, I'm going to put the best of what we do. Uh, I don't use rotisseries right now in my kitchen. I'm going to use a great rotisserie. So I'm, gonna I'm put, so excited. I'm going to put this product, and it's going to be presented great, and the design's going to be phenomenal. I have enjoyed it. will be an Old Town Tustin El Camino Real. Coming up, uh, likely in June, July, will be open for business. Fantastic! I cannot wait because that appeals to the you know the neurotic go getter in me. It's like I need I have four minutes. Let me get something, and I'll know that it's healthy and it has been slow cooked and it's good for me. All right, so I have several more questions as I always do. But first, Paul, can you tell us a little bit about our sponsor? Absolutely. Well, once again, you've proven that you surround yourself with some really interesting, clever people here. Strategic partners like Ford and Dulio. Our guest last week and sponsor for the show, Ford and Diulio, is an Orange County-based boutique litigation firm with experienced attorneys from big law firms. Partners who founded the um, Ford and Diulio did so on the concept of aligned interest, where their success is related to the value and results they achieve for you. How about that? Where they're rewarded for being efficient and effective, not just dragging out the litigation, and where they engage in the relentless pursuit of their clients' real purposes, real goals, whether in litigation, mediation, or at trial. That's something you're missing. If that's something you'd like to learn more about, it's pretty simple. Just go to the web and find them at forddiulio.com, just like it sounds, F-O-R-D-D-I-U-L-I-O, forddiulio.com. All right, well, Wendy, can can I geek for a second here? I just got to thank your guest. He doesn't even know this is coming here, but it's a quick backstory, and then I'll tell you why I'm taking a moment to call him out here. I'm going to get choked up here. My daughter, I only have one daughter, and we adopted her out of foster care. She was born and raised in a little village in Mishawakan. Came across the border illegally, quickly got beat up and abused, fell into foster care in East L.A., and that's where we found her. Wow. And so we adopted her at uh, 10 and uh, brought her down to South Orange County. And she knew nothing about American cuisine or American anything. She couldn't read or write. She'd never really been to school. It was a struggle, everything. And the one bright spot in this whole early transition, as we tried to bring her from this rough world she'd been thrown into, into our world, was Taco Mesa. Really? Because we had started going to Taco Mesa Ladera 
just because I found it to be everything you said, fresh and healthy. And I never found Mexican food. I liked it, but it was, seemed like it was fattening. It wasn't fresh. It wasn't healthy because it had lard and all this other stuff right. in it. And we discovered this thing and fell in love with it. I took her there because we're trying to cook spaghetti and other American food she'd never had. She had no taste for it. We didn't know how to cook Mexican food. She didn't know how to eat American food. And it was a real struggle. So I took her to Taco Mesa out of desperation. And she loved it. It became our go-to place. It was our place we would hang out because she said it was the most authentic she couldn't relate to mexican food that she couldn't go to taco bell and said this isn't mexican food i i made tortillas in a little village in michigan and then as the staff were so great they got to know her and they would look forward to her and they respond to her because they thought it was an amazing story and so it was it was her safe place for about the first year or two when we were transitioning her in Taco Mesa, honestly, God, and Ladera. So thank you very much for what you do there. Talk about making an impact on the community. Yeah. In a way, That's I'm incredible. sure you never thought. Yes, it's healthy and it's good and it's flavorful and it's popular and all that stuff. I learned firsthand the power of, what should we say, authentic cooking. Mm-hmm. For somebody who grew up with authentic cooking and was thrust into another world and couldn't figure out how to make it in this world, Taco Mesa was one little thing for her to hold on to that gave her some connection to it. So thank you, thank so you very much. much. <laughs> how do you not tear up after you? I do. It was, it was so special to us. It still is. I went down there the other day for something. My daughter's now 30. She's grown up. She has two wonderful little boys. She lives in Tustin. She'll uh, have to go to Taco Mesita. Yeah. Yes. And I called her up the other day. Literally, I didn't know he was coming on. About a week ago, I was down there, and I just called her up and said, guess where I'm at? I'm at Taco Mesa. And she got all choked up. I'm like, oh, I Aww. love Taco Mesa. Well, you will be my guest at uh, the pre-open of Taco Mesita for <laughs> sure. She would really appreciate it, I'm telling you, because it was, it was an anchor in an unsure world for her. It really that was. That is absolutely beautiful. I can't thank you enough for sharing the story proved to me the authenticity of what he's doing because yeah. she couldn't relate to Mexican food that had all been Americanized. And mm-hmm. she said that that's not the way it tastes in real villages. And, and what a brilliant way to bring the true culture here. Yes. You know, because we've had this sort of, forgive my expression, this bastardized version of it. Absolutely. You know, and to actually bring the authentic culture and, and flavors here. And, and, and I know that we forget America is quite diverse. I mean, the food in the South and the food in, on the East Coast is different than the food on the West Coast. Very much. Why would we presume that all Mexico, Mexican food's the same? That's kind of silly. Well, and it's all been processed. It's all been turned into, you know, I'm sorry to say Taco Bell or something like that. You know, go to Taco Macy. You want the real deal. It tastes good. It's healthier for you. And it's the real deal. So there's my endorsement for you. Thank you so very much. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I just had to say that. I know I'm sorry it took a little too long to say that. But that was no. unexpected pleasure for me, me to be the owner of uh, Taco Macy. See, now you can go in there and say, I know Ivan. <laughs> <laughs> and you never know where he might be lurking. He might be there when you show Why up. Why is his name Ivan? That doesn't sound like a Hispanic name. Oh, you have to share this. Uh, another story. Yeah, I was named actually when I was baptized, but the priest refused to baptize me with the name of Ivan. So my father got upset and walked out of the church. They brought him back. It was a big deal. So they called me by my middle name, which is Rogelio. But when I learned the story, you know, I said, no, my name is Ivan, so I'm going to be called Ivan. Yeah. And at the time, they would politics were that the name was a communist name because it was Russian. Mm-hmm. Can you believe that? Yes, So that exactly. the priest would not want to call me Ivan or name me Ivan because the name was from, from and, Russia. And so where did your like, parents come up with it? Because I wouldn't think there are a lot of Ivans in Mexico City. Well, you know, there was a lot of Russians that immigrated into Mexico City at one point, And my dad was in the Mexican Air Force, and he had a best friend named Ivan. And they were <laughs> both serving in the Air Force, and they just became best friends. And 
I was to have his name. Again, a beautiful story. There you go. You know, and if we all just create these bridges rather than walls, right? That's what it's all about. It really is. Yeah. I mean, to have this wonderful Mexican family embrace and love this Russian immigrant, presumably, that's a beautiful thing. If we could all just give each other a hand and hold each other rather than push each other apart, then how much further along would we be? I know I'm getting down this, this social commentary, but <laughs> I sell houses, which are homes, which is where we go to lick our wounds and nourish ourselves and Absolutely. grow and raise our children and hopefully make them better human beings and leave the world a better place. And this is all part and parcel. This is all a little piece of it. And can you touch on the other thing that I just love to hear you guys riff on, which is how kitchens have mm-hmm. changed in American homes. When I was a kid in the Midwest, meat and potatoes and uh, canned vegetables, that's all I lived on. Mm-hmm. I hated eating, I hated food, mm-hmm. and everybody was overweight, and it was <laughs> tasteless and bland. There was no ethnic cuisine other than, you know, Italian food we had once in a while. Right, right. So, the kitchen was a place nobody went. Even my mother didn't go there for very long. Mm-hmm. You just went in, you got it done, and you came out. Hung out in the dining room or maybe the family room, mm-hmm. other stuff. And then somewhere along the way, 20, 30 years ago, kitchens grew. And they grew mm-hmm. in size and they grew in importance to the point where now people go hang out in the kitchen. You have a party in the kitchen. Sure. You invite people and cooking is an experience. And we show off our kitchens. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's an interesting social commentary about how Americans live. Yeah. And like you were saying, back when we were kids in the you know, 50s, 60s, and 70s, the back of house, you know, little restaurant term here, yeah, was right. behind closed doors. Like You Absolutely. didn't show where the work was done because mm-hmm. that was déclassé. Right. You, know, you, you had a formal living room. You had a formal dining room. And we usually had an informal family room and an informal kitchenette or a place where the kids would eat because that was all behind closed doors. Exactly. But we've changed and we've morphed and now homes are being built where there's just one giant open living area. You know, and the kitchen is a place where it's no longer shameful to do the work. It's actually considered you're an artisan if you cook. Men and women cook equally. In fact, many of my male friends cook better than their wives or their partners do. Absolutely. So it's been a large pivot societally and, and I'm glad to see it because breaking bread together brings people together. And having this artificiality of the formality of the dining room and all of that, it, it kind of degrades the point of the connection, I think. So, yeah. Do you see that as hand-in-hand with interest in cooking and the food channel and artisanal chefs like your friend here today and all these other people yes. that are trying to do stuff? Yes. Uh, we all aspire to be that now, whereas once we just wanted it meals to go. Well, all I know is that I have a post-war house built in 1947, Mm -hmm. and I am blessed that the people who owned it before I bought it blew out that tiny, narrow galley kitchen that was there (laughs) and made it an open-concept floor plan. So I've got this glorious kitchen. And my dog was confused the first couple of years because I never (laughs) went in that room except to open his dog food. (laughs) And now I spend more time there, and he's completely perplexed. Like, why is mom in this room that she never used before? Exactly. But, uh, yeah, we're we're all moving in that direction. What's what's your chef's uh, kitchen look like at home? I know you're going to ask him where he lives and everything. Maybe it leads into this here. Oh, Ivan. Chef, what does your kitchen look like at home? Well, of course, I have to use gas. You know, you got to have gas and, and, and a good pan. And a good no electricity? Board. No electric uh, ranges? I, I don't prefer to cook with natural gas. You control the temperatures better. It's, it's sort of a better handling. Yeah, but uh, yeah, definitely. Kitchen is the focal central point of my home. Yeah, I love it. It's yeah. in the middle. It's open. And that yeah. mine is. So, yeah. yeah, people can see you. You can gather. Thank you for taking us there, Paul. So <laughs> speaking of your kitchen, Chef Ivan, I'm going to ask you some questions that I ask all of my guests, sort of my version of the, the famous Proust Vanity Fair questionnaire. So starting with what city do you call home? Well, it's funny you ask that because 
When I was a kid, I wrote a song that I didn't finish called Wherever I Go, I Make My Home. So that was the premise of the song that I was writing. Nice. But if I was to call any particular area home, I, I, I'm really, I mean, I live in Laguna, but, but Costa Mesa is really close to my heart Aww. because it was my first restaurant that I owned. Mm-hmm. And I became really close to that community and we're very involved with the folks in Costa Mesa. So I would say Costa Mesa is, is, is my home. That's where your heart is. That's yeah. beautiful. Okay, and since this is a show about real estate, tell us a little bit more about what you love about Costa Mesa. I mean, I know a bit about you, but our listeners don't know about how deeply embedded you were in that community. Well, I like the diversity of Costa Mesa because mm. you have every type of personality, every cultural uh, influence in mm-hmm. Costa Mesa. It's a melting pot of the a replica of the of the whole county, uh, if not the whole sort state. Sort of a microcosm, yeah. Sort of a, yeah, so, so it's, it's, it's beautiful that way. There's a lot of little restaurants. There's a lot of great restaurants, great shops. There's great people. I love the folks in Costa Mesa. But I like where I live as well. I mean, Laguna Beach, you can't beat that, you know, being close to the ocean, clear skies, you know. There's you a lot walk, to be said for that. You walk to the stores. You walk to the beach. You you're, you got the bank across the street. I mean, it's just a, a great place to be. It reminds me of my upbringing, you know, when I sure. grew up in Mexico City, you know. Everything was within walking distance. And how healthy. All right, so moving on. And we talked a little bit about this, and, and this is a question that stumps a lot of people, but just off the top of your head, what is your most treasured possession? Gosh, you know, I'm not a type of person that values to possess something because you have something and something else comes up the next day or bigger car or a bigger model or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But I would have to say my guitar. I mean, if I was to live with something, I would take my Takamine Japanese guitar with me, which is an acoustic guitar with amplified sound. So I would think that it would be my guitar. I think that's fantastic. So if there was a fire, that's what you would grab. Yes. Oh, yeah. that's, that's lovely. We'll have to get into your music on another show. After you write that cookbook for me, please. What do you consider, of all the things you've done, what do you consider your greatest achievement to date? I would call it more of a blessing. I think that I've been blessed with beautiful family, beautiful children, very accomplished. You know, I have four great children, uh, Melissa, Christian, Nicholas, Valentino, who are just amazing, you know, old graduates from college. I'm just blessed with my children. I think I could, uh, That's there's nothing that I value more than that. I delighted in learning how you have obviously raised confident, brave children, because they're scattered to the four winds. They're all over the world, aren't they? Yes, they are. That's, yes. that's beautiful. So they're not afraid to go and, and embark on their own adventures, and there's a lot to be said for that. Yes, yes, and I'm very proud of them. <laughs> all right, so I don't know if you have one. Many people do, some don't. Do you have a personal motto, and if so, what is it? One of the things I really always want to is to to love, to understand, to to forgive in the same way I want to be loved, understood, and forgiven. I mean, just in, in, in a short sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Just do and give what you want back. And and I think that in the same way in all aspects of life, and you can, I can go on and on about about all the things that can relate to that, but if you wake up, I wake up in the morning wanting to give, wanting to be grateful, wanting to, you know, create. And, and I want, you know, and I just want to give. And it's basically what I want to get back. That is so moving and so mm. important because I think sometimes we do get a bit carried away with ourselves. So it's, it's beautiful that you anchor yourself that way daily. Having said all of this, and you know that I know where all your restaurants are and I shamelessly stalk you there. 
How can our listeners get in touch with you? And of course, please share us share with us some information about Restaurant Week. It's coming up, right? Absolutely. Well, my email is ivanatacomesa.com. So anybody wants to personally email me, that's my email where I could be available at any time. Um, but Restaurant Week, now we're on it this time. I mean, every restaurant tour, a lot of restaurants, local restaurants, right now are celebrating Restaurant Week, which means you're going to go out to your favorite restaurant. You're going to get the best value that you could get in a three-course, either luncheon or dinner. So all of us are putting our best guns out there, uh, and we're packaging it in a way where you can get a great deal. So why not go and support your local restaurants this week? It's an important week for you to go out, don't cook at home, go out and visit your very support favorite the local restaurant. restaurants, right. support your community, be out there because you are going to get value. You are going to get the best that we make because mm-hmm. we're all putting our best front in terms of our three course package, either luncheon or dinner. And there's a lot of different pi- price points. So you can go to the places that you could that you can afford or that you love, that you want to be at. So, so if our listeners want to know what you're great, offering, how do they find out? Do they go to your website to see what you're doing? They go to the Orange County Restaurant Week uh, website. Got it. Uh, and then they'll have all the menus for all the restaurants out there. Perfect. Where uh, they could choose their best three-course meal. And it get, it, it's different for lunch and dinner and different mm-hmm. price points. So check it out. It's a great uh time to go out and dine i love it all right people get out there and enjoy restaurant week and support local so that's going to wrap it for today i'd love for you to join us next week when we're going to have um wait me <laughs> it's going to be me i'll be in the hot seat being interviewed by my publicist kara stewart with alta lunas media so stay tuned for more of me next week and until then 